turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 5, 2 Timothy chapter 5, and uh, we've been talking about the meaning of biblical fundamentalism, and we've, we've discussed a, a decent number of things about that up to this point. We, we've looked at the definition, or really what biblical fundamentalism is, we looked at the message of a Bible-believing Christian. We studied the motives of a Bible-believing Christian last week, what drives us forward. And so in this last lesson, I'm actually going to split it up into uh, two lessons. It's, it's, uh, it's not, neither one of them will be really long, but uh, both of them together would be too long. Second Timothy doesn't even have a chapter 5, does it? I don't know what passage I was going to have you turn to. I think, it, I think, I think it's chapter 4, uh, but it's not verse 16. I don't know. I, I wrote the wrong thing down here. So maybe I meant 2 Corinthians. Either way, we've got a lot of verses that we're going to look at tonight. I was going to use that as a jumping off point, but I, I, uh, I had that written down as my text, and I don't know where I got 2 Timothy chapter 5 from because there's not one. Uh, but go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll start there. So in, in this last lesson, what I want to do is, is kind of see how these truths bear themselves out in the local church. So uh, within a, a corporate, as we would call it, or a local body of believers, how should uh, a ministry function in light of the Word of God, in light of everything that we talked about when it comes to biblical fundamentalism, right? So uh, what are we supposed to do with the message and the doctrines that we've, uh, uh, we've established and that we really, that we hold so dearly uh, to what it is that we believe? So Tonight I want to give you the ministry of a biblical fundamentalist, and I think the way that I'm going to split it up is to give you what we are guided by this week, and then next week we'll look at what we're not guided by. Um, and, and both of them are just as important, I think, in understanding these things. So how are we supposed to incorporate what we've learned within the church? That's what we're talking about tonight. What are the characteristics going to be of a true fundamental ministry? So first thing is, and we've talked about this a lot, but I want to go just in a little bit of a different direction. But the first thing is that we'll be guided by God's word. And if, if you don't, if you haven't figured that out yet, then then you probably haven't been listening because we've talked a lot about that. Everything that we do ought to be guided by the word of God. And if we cannot find it in the word of God, which we're going to talk about uh, the principles that we find in the word of God. But if we can't find it in the word of God, then it's not something that we ought to be preaching. And, and, and if it is in the word of God, then it's something that we ought to be preaching. So in every practice of a Bible-believing church, you should be able to answer the why question with a Bible verse, right? Or at least, at the very least, with a principle from the word of God. So I, I want to look at a couple things as we, as we jump into this tonight. Why do we sing songs that are hymns? Why do we sing songs of praise? Why do we sing songs of worship? The Bible tells us to do that. We see that in Ephesians chapter 3. And these are answering some of those questions. You're going to get asked that if you say, well, I, I belong to an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Bible Baptist church. Well, you know, you guys do things weird in those churches. You know, you, you, you only sing hymns. Well, why do you only sing hymns, right? We don't only sing hymns, but the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're commanded, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. A lot of churches have done away with the psalms and the hymns, and what they call spiritual songs is nothing more than rock music wrapped up in a, uh, with Christian words. And so... Um, we sing hymns because the Bible tells us to do that. Why do we preach? 
right? There's a, there's a lot of places that think, well, maybe you should easily get up, get up and give a tur- turn to Second Timothy chapter four. A lot of places that that think, you know, uh, you should just give up and give a motivational speech, or you shouldn't really be preaching. You should just, you know, talk to them, uh, share some things with them, whatever. Uh, but the Bible tells us to preach the word of God, and it doesn't get any more clear than this. Number one, that we should be preaching, but also what the intent of preaching is. Second Timothy chapter four and verse number two, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So I, I, I think the way that it's done matters with all long suffering and doctrine. I'm not I, I can't just get up here and, and rant and rave and holler about things that I don't like or things that I do like that you should be doing or should not be doing with no biblical basis for it. And I ought to be doing it in as in as loving of a way as I can. But my job as the preacher, and anytime somebody gets up to preach, the job is to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Why do we have a soul winning outreach? Well turn over to Matthew chapter twenty eight. This is one that you could probably quote, most of you. But the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to go into the entire world and preach the gospel. That's why we go out and, and knock on doors. That's why we go out and, and try to tell people about Christ. That's not a popular thing anymore. Most churches don't have any kind of outreach program like that. I was just talking with a guy today, um, and uh, he's from a different denomination. And uh, we just we got to talking about some things, and he said, well, I'm, I'm more of an outreach type person, and that put me at odds with the denomination because they just don't do that. And that, to me, is so foreign to what we find in the Word of God, right? Is, is it popular to go knocking on somebody's door and try to tell them that they need Jesus Christ? No, it's not. Is, is it embarrassing sometimes? Maybe. Is it, is, it, is it hard to do sometimes? Yes, because you just don't know what the response of people is going to be. And, and even if you're not just knocking on the door, even if you're just talking to them and, you know, they're your friend or you work with them or whatever else, a lot of people shy away from that because, well, it's embarrassing or whatever else, but the Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, uh, always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I'm, I'm going to cover this a lot more because this is obviously very much part of our mission statement. Uh, this is the mission statement that's given to the church. We're going to cover this on Saturday some in our workers' training. But it doesn't say wait in the church, therefore, to have people come so you can give them the gospel, right? It says go, go out into the world and give them the gospel. So why do we have a soul winning, soul winning outreach? We're commanded to. Here's another one in Acts chapter 1. Why do we support missionaries? The Bible tells us that we're not only to, to reach our Jerusalem, but we are supposed to reach our Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. We're supposed to do everything we can to try to reach the entire world. And the way that that happens is by sending out missionaries. He says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Here's another one. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. And th- there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I did a whole series on what I believe and why, right? And uh, hopefully you, you wrote some of those verses down as we went through that, and you have some of those things uh, stored away in your mind and in your memory now for, for why we believe the things that we believe. But these are things specifically that we're talking about that we do in the church. Why do we have an offering? Right, the Bible tells us to. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, 
as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Well, there's a, there's a lot of churches that don't do any or, or at least all of these things, right? And they have their reasons why. But every single one of these things that we, that we mentioned are, are, are talked about specifically in the Word of God. And, and most of them in multiple places in the Word of God. So a biblically fundamental church is guided by the Word of God in all matters of practice. Uh, turn over to, uh, this, is, this is the one that I was looking for, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, because I have 2 Timothy 5, verse 16 written down underneath this, and this is, obviously it's not 5, this is the one I was looking for. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and boy, we could, we could take a long time to break that down. But everything that we do, a biblically fundamental church is going to be guided by the word of God in every single thing that we do. And if you need doctrine, you find it in the word of God. If you need reproof, you find it in the word of God. If you, find, if you need correction or instruction in righteousness, you find it in the word of God. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. We see here the example of the Berean church. And, and the Bible says that it was a noble church because of their adherence to the word of God. And to the doctrines of the word of God. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11 says this. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And searched the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so. Now that's pretty interesting. Because what were they doing? They were hearing these things being preached. And then they were going to the Bible themselves. And making sure that what they were hearing being preached. Was from the word of God. That's what every, and, and honestly, that's what a lot of churches, even even good churches, I think, have gotten off track on, on things because they're listening to somebody who heard somebody who heard somebody who said that this is what we ought to be doing, and nobody ever went back and, and tested it by the word of God, right? You hear something, and even if it, if it doesn't sound right, which hopefully you don't hear something like that from, from this pulpit anyway, but you hear something, and maybe you've never heard it before, and you think, wow, that's interesting. Let me go search that out for myself. Wow, that is true. I need to be doing that. Or, you know what? That is true. I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, but, but it's up to us. It's our responsibility to be studying the word of God for ourselves. Uh, how, how do you think false doctrine gets so easily passed around in churches? Because somebody gets up and preaches it, and nobody goes back to the word of God and says, wow, is this from the Bible or not? They just take it as gospel because somebody got up and preached it and they get off on those doctrines and the whole church goes in that direction. So a biblically fundamental church will be guided by God's word, but also, and this goes right along with that, and you can turn over to Luke chapter 11. We're going to get there in a second, but a biblically fundamentalist church, a biblically fundamental church is going to be guided by, by biblical principles. So. There are some things in our daily lives that are not directly given to us in the Bible. They're not directly spoken about in the scriptures, but biblical principles easily apply to a heart that is discerning those things. You think about the, the course of 2,000 years uh, since the Bible was written, and, and even longer if you go all the way back into the Old Testament, and the, the Bible would be 10 times as thick if there was a, if there was a specific command for every single one of the things that has happened in every single generation since the Bible was written, right? The Bible, God wrote the Bible to, to, uh, to be uh, uh, 
instrumental or to be applicable across all generations. So there are some things that are specifically commanded, but there's a lot of things that are not specific, specifically commanded, but we can find them uh, from the word of God in principle. So uh, the Bible is very clear in Psalm 119, verse 45, and you don't need to turn over there, but the psalmist said, and I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. He found his liberty walking within the context of the word of God. So, yes, do we have Christian liberty? We do. But that Christian liberty ought to be based on what we find in the word of God, not what we just come up with our own opinions or whatever else. We have to be people who are guided by the principles of the word of God. Methods are going to change. Principles will never change. And that's one of the, that's one of the things we're talking about here. So I've known uh, fundamentalist churches that emphasize standards without emphasizing the biblical principle that supports that standard. We just spent a long time talking about it, and that's why I spent a long time talking about it. Uh, when it comes to music, when it comes to dress, those are things that um, we often preach standards in, in any area without communicating that there's a biblical principle that serves as the basis for that standard. Uh, the logical outcome of that, of that pattern and that preaching is, is that we're going to grow weak Christians who don't understand why they do what they're being taught to do. And if you don't understand why you should be doing it, then you're only doing it because you're being told you have to, and, and that, that produces a weak Christian, right? A, a Christian who uh, is told they have to go out and knock on doors, or you can't be a member of this church if you don't go knock on doors, and we'll just use that for an example. And they say, well, I want to be a member of this church, so I guess I'm going to go out and knock on doors. I don't see the purpose in it. I don't see any reason why we should be doing this. I don't, you know, the world's either going to, you know, they're either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell with or without me. But I don't see the, the reason behind it, but I'll do it. Fine. The minute you are not in a church that tells you you have to go out knocking on doors, you're going to stop doing it. And it, it was never your, your belief in the first place. So one generation away from this mentality, our young people are going to are going to forsake everything as baseless and it's they're not going to have a foundation. And it's exactly like building a house on sand. Right. If you don't have a solid foundation, it's exactly what I talked to our young people about last night. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're that I'm excited about teaching them in our Sunday school class is we're going to get back to the fundamentals of the Bible, the doctrines, the fundamental doctrines of the Bible, the apologetics, understanding why we believe what we believe, understanding those doctrines. Because if we don't build a foundation, you can build a giant, beautiful house on sand and it looks good for a while. But as soon as the rains come, it's going to come crashing down. We have that exact story given to us in the Bible, right? But a house that's built on a solid foundation is going to stand when the storms come. And by storms, okay, our kids are going to get to be 18, 19, 20 years old, and people are going to start questioning them, questioning them on why do you do that? And if they don't have an answer for it, then guess what's going to happen? They're going to stop, and I don't blame them. I would stop too if I didn't have an answer for somebody on why do you do that? That's weird. Yeah, you're right. It is weird. I don't know why we do that. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore, right? And, and that's all it takes in a lot of cases because they have no biblical foundation. They have nothing to base it off of. Why would they continue doing it if they don't even know why? So it's, it's very, very important that we do that. So we have to come back to teaching the Bible principles, uh, which our convictions and standards are derived from. We have to do more than just, you know, stand up and wave the banner for certain standards, which uh, again, in independent fundamental Baptist churches, uh, traditionally and, and for many, many years, they've been known for having strong standards. But in a lot of cases, those standards are strong, but they don't even know why. 
and it's not based on anything other than this is what we have always done. And if we don't understand that, then the minute our kids leave to go off onto their own is the minute they drop all of those things. So uh, we have to take the time that's necessary to show how the Bible led us to that standard in the first place. And it's only if we take that time to lay a biblical foundation that a ministry is going to stand and generations to come will personally own and live by the standards that are set forth, number one, in the word of God, but also by, uh, by our church. So there may be issues that I face in my life that the Bible doesn't really give me an exact uh, or, or it doesn't speak directly about. But the Bible will always give a principle that speaks to that area. Uh, look in Luke chapter 11. This is, there's a Bible principle in Luke that God hears and answers prayer, right? And I say unto you, verse number 9, Luke chapter 11 and verse number 9, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now, from that principle, I've developed a conviction that a Christian should pray. And from that conviction, I've developed uh, a standard for my life that I will pray every single day. That's, that's how we come to those conclusions, right? Now, the Bible does have other principles that say evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud if they'll hear my voice. And there's a lot of principles that we have in prayer. And in some cases, we are commanded to pray. Um, you know, but I, and, and so I can I can tell my kids, you know, uh, that they have to pray and they might follow that direction for some time. But until they uh, understand that Bible principle and understand the true heart of God in that matter, then they're going to, uh, you know, until they own that conviction for themselves, they might do it because I'm telling them they have to do it. But it has to become theirs. And again, that's that's something that every person, every Christian that grows up in church has to come to at some point. They have to make those convictions their own. They have to make those standards their own. They have to make those Bible principles and those Bible doctrines their own, right? Uh, I grew up in church. I mean, from the time that I was born, I was in church. Uh, and for all of that time, I heard all of these doctrines and all of these standards and all of these things that we should be doing. But at some point, and just kind of through high school, really, is when it happened. But even into college, I got to the point where I had to go back and study those things out for myself and come to that conclusion myself. Because as, at, at some point, my parents telling me I have to do this or my pastor telling me this is what I need to do is not any good anymore. Now, and now it gives me a great foundation. It gives me a great basis. But I have to come to those decisions myself. And if I have a strong foundation to base those decisions off of because I was taught the right way and taught from the word of God and helped to understand those things, then it makes it a whole lot easier for me to come to those conclusions on my own and to have those standards for myself and to stand strong on those doctrines for myself. And that's what we're trying to teach to our kids. Now, here's another illustration. Turn over to Psalm 101. The, the principle in the Bible is that a Christian should not participate in ungodly activities, right? If, if the Bible listed every single thing, now, now um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, was there a television back in the days when the New Testament was written? Of course not, right? Was there a radio? No. Was there Hollywood? No. I mean, there was all kinds of things that were there that were similar to that, but they didn't have that kind of stuff. So the Bible does not say, thou shalt not watch a bad movie, right? Thou shalt not listen to bad music, right? I mean, it just, it doesn't happen. There's, there's just no way that every single thing 
that is right can be saying thou shalt do this and every single thing that's wrong that the Bible can say thou shalt not do this, right? It's just that there's no way for that to be possible without the Bible being ten times thicker than it is. So we have principles that give us the idea that we ought not to participate in ungodly activities. And here's a great one in first in Psalm 101 verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Now go all the way back to the beginning of Psalm. Psalm 1. And, and, and again, this is probably a, a chapter or a psalm that most people could quote. There's only a few verses in there, six verses. But Psalm 1, verse number 1 says this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, does, is there anything in there that says thou shalt not in either one of those verses? No, but it says this is what a godly man does. This is what a blessed man does. This is, this is what the ungodly are going to do, right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that standeth not in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man that sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. But then this is what he should be doing. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So those are Bible principles, both of those, Psalm 1 and Psalm 101. But from those Bible principles, I've come to a conviction. Basically, I'm not going to participate in ungodly entertainment, right? That's, that's uh, it's, it's very logical and very, it's very easy to, to, draw from those principles that, that we shouldn't be participating in ungodly entertainment. Now, most Christians, even non-fundamental Christians, would agree, right? That's right. We shouldn't fill our minds up with worldly, ungodly entertainment. But defining that standard is where the process becomes more difficult and more personal. And so we can come to a couple different uh, conclusions, a couple different standards based on that conviction that I shouldn't be part of the world's entertainment, right? So uh, one standard that I that from that conviction that I might draw says, you know, I'm not going to attend a rock concert because it violates the, the teaching of the word of God regarding putting wicked things before my eyes. And most rock, rock concerts pretty easily uh, have many wicked things that happen in those places that, that uh, it's very easy for us to say that it's a wicked thing, right? Another standard uh, we could form that from that conviction is I, I'm not going to go to movie theaters because of the same reason of, number one, not putting wicked things before my eyes, but also because of the worldly association. There's you, you walk into a movie theater and there's 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 movie posters plastered all over the wall that have all kinds of ungodly things on them. Right. W would we be comfortable putting up uh, movie posters in the auditorium of 99 percent of the movies that are out there? You would feel really uncomfortable if I put if I put movie posters all up in, uh, up on the walls in here, wouldn't you? you? You would walk in and you would say, "What what is going on in here? This is not something that should be in church, right?" That's I mean, those people are, are barely dressed. Why do we have these up on the walls in in the church, right? But then, how is it any different just because we're walking into uh, another place, right? Um, Add to that the fact that uh, the support is going to these movie makers who are completely anti-God, completely anti-Christianity, hate everything that you stand for, and we're going to go in there and support them. 
it, it's the association. It's that worldly association with it. So the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not go to a rock concert or thou shalt not go to a movie theater. It doesn't say that. But those restrictions are certainly things we can draw from the principles in the word of God, which, by the way, just because you wouldn't go to a movie theater and watch something doesn't mean that it's okay for you to watch that same thing in your home, right? Well, there's a lot of Christians out there who have the standard, I'm not going to go to a movie theater because, uh, you know, there's bad stuff there. But as soon as it comes out on a DVD, I'll, I'll bring it home and I'll watch the bad stuff in my house, just not in a movie theater because I've got standards, you know. I don't go to movie theaters, right? We have a standard to uphold across all of those things. And uh, a lot of non-fundamental leaders and even honestly some who would claim to be fundamental leaders are, are you know refer to that as legalism and that's wrong legalism places the doing of works as either a means of salvation or uh, as a means of acceptance with God and neither one of those is the case me going to movie theaters or not doesn't mean that God uh, that, that I'm going to lose my salvation because I went to a movie theater or a rock concert right doesn't mean that um, you know, uh, that God accepts me any more or any less. And I'm not, I'm not teaching that, uh, that going to a rock concert is going to cause me to lose my salvation or cause God to accept me less. I'm not saying that, but it will keep me from living a holy, godly life, which every Christian should be desiring if we want to move forward in our relationship with him. He intends me to live a holy life. He intends me to live a godly life. He intends for me to live righteously. And if I'm trying to do those things, then that means I'm going to have to eliminate some of those things that are worldly entertainment and that are that are a hindrance to me being everything that I can be in my relationship with Christ. It's going to keep me from becoming the person that God is transforming me to be. It's going to it's going to stunt my spiritual growth and it's going to be displeasing to the Lord. That's not legalism at all. That's vigilant Christianity. And we get accused of that all the time. Oh, you guys can't do any of that kind of stuff. I could. If I wanted to go to a movie theater tomorrow, I could do it. Who's, who's stopping me? Nobody. Right? I could go to a rock concert tomorrow. Nobody's stopping me from doing those things. But I know what it would do to my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm not willing to sacrifice that relationship for a little bit of worldly entertainment that's going to last for a short time and be gone. I only have a little bit of time to live for Christ. I only have a little bit of time to be as holy as I can possibly be. And all of those things, the Bible says, are all going to be burned up. Right? They're going to be gone someday, and they're going to count for nothing. But my relationship with Christ and what I'm doing for eternity is going to last forever. And that's something that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around because we've never been in eternity yet. We've never been to heaven yet. We've never seen what eternity is like. But the things that we do in relation to eternity on this earth are going to last forever. And the things that we do in relation to the things of this world and things that are worldly are going to be burned up and they're going to be gone and they're not going to count for anything. And if you look at your life on the timeline of eternity, it's just this little speck of dust. On a, on a wall that stretches as far as you can see in both directions. We don't have a lot of time to live for Christ. I want to make every moment that I have count for Christ. And that's what that's what these principles uh, 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 come down to. Paul Crow, I, I referenced his book when we were going through the idea of, of uh, convictions in particular. But he wrote a book called Cliffs and Fences. He said this in that book. The attempted enforcement of standards upon those who do not yet have such a high opinion of the scriptures and its place in scripture, uh, Christian living 
often only serves to harden and embitter those asked to abide by those standards. So the, the issue that's most often brought up is this. Um, it's a personal thing. Whether I go to movies or not is a personal thing. Whether I go to a rock concert or not is a personal thing. And, and, and honestly, uh, talking about sin generically is unoffensive to, to most people, right? Now, some people are going to get offended if you just say sin, you know, worldly entertainment is sin. There's going to be some people who are, who are offended by that. But most people are not offended when you just say don't sin, right, or you should stay away from worldly things. Nobody's offended by that because you're not being specific about it. But it, it keeps crowds coming back to church, but it doesn't change life. I read a quote this week that said this, and, and listen to this very carefully. The mark of an effective church is not how many people come, but how many people live differently as a result of having been there. That is the purpose of church, right? We, God may bless us, and we might have 300 people here someday. I don't know. But the size of our church is not what our focus ought to be. Our focus ought to be how closely are we living to the life of Christ? How closely does my life and does our church resemble Jesus Christ in our actions, in our conduct, and all of those other things? And if we have, if we have 30 people and every one of those 30 people is living as closely as they can to the word of God, then I think we're, we're a whole lot more successful than a lot of churches that have 3,000 people in them who have just a very, very shallow understanding of the word of God. That's the purpose. The mark of an effective church is not how many people come, but how many people who live differently as a result of having been there. We all have ways of rationalizing that our particular sin is somehow within bounds or acceptable with God. We use our, our Christian liturgy or our grace of God, you know, the grace of God is our excuse for why we can do certain things that are clearly displeasing to the Lord. So when, when a sin is named or when a generality becomes specific, we often bristle against the word of God, uh, cutting with that two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, like the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. We, we kick against the Bible's discerning the thoughts and intents of our heart, right? We love to talk about that, about the Bible. Oh, the Bible's powerful. It'll, it'll break any rock in half. It'll, it'll pierce any soul. It'll divide asunder the... The joints are moral, but just don't let it happen to me, right? That's, that's how we think a lot of times. And as soon as the Bible starts cutting into us, we start kicking back against it. We don't like it. Um, and, and we often resent the, the, the messenger or the man or the pastor who's being so specific. And, again, I mentioned it on Sunday morning. Um, when we talk about specific things or the Holy Spirit um, convicts you about a specific sin or something like that, I, I hope you don't think that I'm trying to be um, – a jerk about it or that I'm trying to be offensive by that or that I'm just doing it for the sake of doing it. If it's in the word of God, we, we've got to, to preach it. So I hope you'll see the lie and the dangerous, dangerous path that a lot of Christians are on. And, and, and I, I, if I can give you a challenge, it would be to raise the bar of holiness and raise the bar of godliness in your life. Now, that does mean that we have to give up a lot of things that most people in this world and sadly a lot of people who claim to be Christians do and I'm not saying that a Christian you know you can't be a Christian and go to a movie theater you could but but it's not a Christian who values his relationship with Christ you can't be a Christian and go to a rock concert you could but it's not a Christian who values 
holiness and righteousness and godliness. So fellowship with Christians who are leading you to a more godly lifestyle, not a less godly lifestyle. You get around Christians who are all going in the same direction and have that same mindset, it becomes a whole lot easier to live for Christ, right? You get into a very weak church where none of these things are taught, but you believe them yourself. Well, guess what? Number one, it's going to be very, very hard for you to do them. And number two, you're probably going to be like those weak Christians very soon because nobody's there to hold you accountable. And, that, and that's what a lot of Christians don't like is accountability, right? If, if, if uh, you know, if uh, Brian and I are together and I said, hey, you know, go over there and watch this movie. It's a new movie that just came out. It's pretty good. And he says, well, that's not very Christ-like if we go over there and watch that. Do you think I'm going to ask him about that again? Or do you, I'm, I'm probably not, but he's, you know what? I'm going to say, well, all right, yeah, whatever, never mind. Forget I even asked you, but I'm not going to go, right? The, the, the stronger Christians you're around, the more that gives you that, that strength to say, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't even ask him that. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even ask him that question because I know what his answer is going to be, and I know that I shouldn't be doing it. Whereas if Brian was weak and I said, hey, you want to go to this rock concert over here that's happening on Thursday night or whatever? And he was like, mm, you know, I might. I'll think about it. Come on, let's go. Let's go. And eventually, guess what? Both of us are going to be over there at the rock concert, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm hanging around with Christians who are just as weak as I am. And two weak Christians are never going to be strong together, right? But if I try to put myself around people who are strong, and who are going in the same direction as I am and who do value holiness and who, who do value righteousness and godliness and all of those things. That's going to encourage me to say, man, I, I don't really have a problem with that myself, but I know what everybody else would think if I went there. So, you know what? I probably just shouldn't do it. And eventually it's going to become your standard where you're going to say, yeah, I, don't, I can't believe I ever went to that place in the first place. You know, now that I see it from this perspective. That really is a lot of ungodliness going on in there that I probably shouldn't be taking part in. So stand guard over your heart in that area. Be careful what you call legalism. We have to be vigilant to be a church that will name sin, that we're not just going to talk about, you know, unoffensive generalities. Um, but we also have to guard our spirit toward the message and toward the messenger that, that is, like I said on Sunday, you know, you should want to have your toes stepped on. And it doesn't feel good when somebody steps on your toes. Not not really. But it's necessary sometimes to say, oh, I'm sorry, my feet were in the way, you know, and back up from that line a little bit. Right. And, and that's exactly what the word of God does. And so if the message is personal, then apply it, submit to it, watch God bless your life and, and, and uh, bring it in line with specific obediences to his word. Let me close with this for tonight. I think more importantly, we need to establish a lifestyle that's holy and godly because of your commitment to biblical purposes, not just because you're conforming to an environment of standards. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, with eye service as men pleasers, right? That's the, that, is the, that is the number one danger of kids growing up in church, is they do it just because they know that that's what they're supposed to do, and they're trying to not get in trouble, and they're trying to impress those that are around them. They're not doing it because they because they're trying to do what's right. They're doing it because they they just they want to look good to everybody else. And honestly, that's what happens to Christians who are in church for a long time as well. We just do it not because we're trying to please Christ, but we're trying to please everybody else around us. So the warning there is that we ought to establish a lifestyle that's holy and godly because of our commitment to those biblical principles, not just because we're trying to impress other people who are around us. 
who should be going in the same direction, but we should be truly doing the will of God from the heart. I, I don't want the, the members of our church to serve or to live a certain way simply because of a church standard. Uh, we have to have a standard in our church, so we have a standard in music, we have a standard in dress, we have a standard in all those things because you have to draw the line somewhere. But I'll, I want to be the kind of spirit-filled pastor who challenges you to own those Bible principles, to develop those Bible principles so that uh, you'll be motivated by the word of God and be accountable for him personally, right? You're not going to answer to me someday. You're going to answer to God. And those standards and those convictions are there to help you when you stand before him to be able to say, I did everything I could to live as closely to the word of God as I could. And these, these convictions, these standards help you with that, but that's why I do my best to fill my messages with the Word of God and the teaching with the Word of God. It's not my authority I'm standing on. It's the authority of the Bible. And if I'm standing on any other authority, then it doesn't matter what I think. It, it only matters what the Bible says. If someone were to ask you, you know, don't you go out and watch wicked movies, you know, that defile your life and your marriage and all that? No, I can't. I can't serve in the choir. I can't sing in the choir if I do that. So, no, I don't. That's the wrong answer, right? You completely missed the entire point of the whole purpose of all those things. You need a deeper answer than that. Your answer should be guided by the word of God. No, I don't do those things because I, am, I value my relationship with Christ. And even though it may be acceptable, it's going to be a hindrance to me in this area or that area or whatever. So your life should be lived based upon the principles of the word of God, should be guided by the word of God and by those principles that we find in the word of God. So a biblically fundamental church, to, to uh, conclude with what we talked about tonight, is going to be guided by God's word and it's going to be guided by biblical principles. And if it's not, then you need to get in line with the word of God and in line with those biblical principles. And where sometimes we've stepped away from those things, we, we need to get back to them. So we're going to talk next week. It'll be a little shorter next week of, of uh, some of the things that we should not be guided by. And uh, I think you'll understand what I mean, and we'll look at a few verses in there to do that as well. A uh, couple things to remember before we close. Don't forget to sign up for the picnic uh, week from Saturday. And then also um, looking forward to seeing everybody here on Saturday morning, bright and early. If you need a, a wake-up call, send me a text. I'll, I'll send you a wake-up call on Saturday morning. Or, or Brother Bill will. He's up at 3 o'clock in the morning anyway. So, Right? That's all I get. No, no, please don't. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the, the principles and the truths that we can find in the Word of God. I pray that you'd help us to be motivated by following as closely to the Word of God as we can. God, I pray that you'd help us to have hearts and, and minds that desire to just live for you, desire to be right with you in every area, and where we need to make changes, I pray that you'd help us to do it. And I pray that you'd help us to be a church that you can, that you can use and that you'll be pleased with because of it. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name.